Inside Books with Breda Brown. Welcome to Inside Books, a programme about the magical world of writing. I'm Breda Brown and I'm an avid book lover. I really love listening to authors tell their story. So in each episode of Inside Books, we chat to well-known authors and we also update you on other news from the books world. You'll find Inside Books on SoundCloud and you can also subscribe to us on iTunes, ensuring you never miss an episode. Our Twitter handle is at InsideBooksIRE, where you'll also find news about some great book events happening around the country. Stephanie Breisner is an author, columnist, screenwriter, playwright and actress. Born in Germany, she moved to Cork when she was a young child. She wrote the smash hit series for RTE Television, Can't Cope, Won't Cope, and recently published her first book, which outlines her journey from childhood to adulthood, moving from Munich, then to Mallow, then to Dublin, and from not coping at all to sort of coping with the inevitability of change. Stephanie, the title of the book, Why Can't Everything Just Stay the Same and Other Things I Shout When I Can't Cope. Very catchy. Yeah, really rolls <laughs> off the tongue, doesn't it? It's Could great. you not have made it a bit longer, no? It's great for Twitter. Well, wait till you hear my second book. I don't know, I'm, I'm picking a title at the moment, but I'll tell you, I'll be keeping it brief. Change then. So why do you not like change? I don't, like... Am I alone in that? Do you, like, I think everybody, I don't think anybody likes change. I like change. Do you? I like sort of, I like a little bit of routine, but I also like the spontaneity and, and a little bit of change. Yeah. So like when you have to like, like I've just been handed notice to move out of my house now and find a new place to live. And that's filling me with. Well, that's slightly with, different as in because that's a bit more traumatic in terms of trying to find somewhere to live in the current climate at the moment. But um, so, yes, I agree with you on that one. I guess I really love, you know, when someone tells you, does anyone, has anyone ever said to you like, oh, that's so typical breeder? Yes. And how does that sit with you then when that happens? I know myself quite well, I suppose. So I know what would be typical me, no more than yourself. Yeah, like I love being told I'm acting typically. Like I just love it. And I love when other people act typically. And I just love, like I love when I meet a friend of mine and they're wearing the perfume I knew they would be wearing. I love. And what happens if they're wearing a different perfume? It's like, why are you wearing a different perfume? Because they wanted to try something else. Yeah, for sure. And obviously I'm not going to control the smells of other people, but I do, I, I would kind of consider like, oh, what was wrong with the old way? Like, why why do we need to, like, if it's not broke, don't fix it, you know? Is it a control thing? Oh, I'd say absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I do. I don't like not being in control in any situation. So like when I have to hand over control to a pilot, a doctor, you know, I'm, I'm all, it's, I always hand those reins over with a little bit of a... You know, like they have to be kind of pulled. But you're not in control now because I am, because I'm asking the questions and you don't know what I might ask next. Yeah. How does that feel? It feels fine because I know that there are no unaskable questions, but there are plenty of unanswerable ones and I will <laughs> deal with them as they come. But no, I do get very nervous before interviews. I have a media trainer who I mentioned in the book who's called Lorcan and he preps me for interviews and he... um You know, I so I have people around me and I have coping mechanisms to deal with those sort of unknowns. And you've developed those coping mechanisms over the years then? Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, if I, people say to me like, was it really scary being so truthful in the book? And yeah, it was. But if I didn't do all of the things I'm afraid of doing, I would never do anything because I'm pretty anxious about everything. So why did you write the book then? Because I think that we need books like this. And I think we need 
we need people to stand up and be afraid and say things that they're afraid to say. I'm I'm sort of playing with this thing at the moment called extreme honesty. Mm -hmm. And because I feel like there's such a there's a culture at the moment of of fakeness and fake news and like you know according to Instagram everyone's at the gym all the time and they're all in the best nick of their lives and but when you look at the statistics that say in like Irish health obesity mental health it's all off the charts so it's like what is real like why are we all lying and so I feel like we need honesty brutal honesty like when I was listening to you introducing me there like that's some introduction, you know, like she's done this and she's written Can't Cope. But you Cope. have done all of that. I have. But also, like, if someone is following my journey and finds me aspirational, then I feel like I have a responsibility to say, yes, I did write Can't Cope, Won't Cope. And I have toured Salpadine as my boyfriend all around the world. But there are like six plays that you'll never hear of because no one wants to fund me to put them on. And there are scripts that you'll never see because the film board or, 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 or whatever the funding body is, they don't think that they're good enough. And I think it's really important for people to say like, I am not just my successes. I also have failures and they make my successes more successful. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to just put up on Instagram my filtered face and pretend like I wasn't in hair and makeup for two and a half hours when I'm on the cover of a magazine. Well, I can see you now. You look good. Yeah, I look good, but I don't look like I look on the front of the book or on the front of a magazine when I've been in hair and makeup. Do you think it's a generational thing, though? Again, because I would be from that slightly older generation where we didn't have social media growing up. We didn't have that element of fakeness where everything was perfect all the time. Whereas I can see that the younger generations do and they assume that's normal. Um, I don't know. Well, it is normal. It's normal for them. It's normal for you them. Know, That's their, what I'm saying. Yeah. It's their reality. And so it we can compare as much as we want to, to generations gone by. But I don't know that that's particularly helpful. I do think that there is an, a lack of understanding and therefore maybe a lack of empathy between the generations because it's such a different experience. But... I like I'm not an internet na- I am an internet native in a way but I didn't have social media growing up and I'm so glad I didn't have Facebook in school because it's so toxic and and you know bully like bullying in school and cyberbullying which is something I deal with in the book I can't imagine what it must be like to not be able to leave school at three o'clock and go home and for it still to be there in your pocket do you know what I mean so I feel like it is a different world now but just to say that it's less good and like it was better in the old days is sort of not really helping the problem because we need to just face that this is what's happening and find a way to deal not with it. Not worse or better, different. Different, probably. for sure. And uh, to talk about the book then, you know, it is very personal. It is your life story as such. And you would have said previously that you sort of, you know, will be quite anxious about things or, or how people might perceive you or think about you as we've just chatted about. So did it not scare you then putting all of that down on paper? Um, It didn't scare me putting it on paper. It's a very intimate process like Mm. you and your laptop and that's it, you know. Um, It scared me when it, like I was very anxious uh, maybe the week that it was coming out, the the week of the launch, I would have really struggled during that time Um, because, you know, so it is a book about me and it's a book about my stories, but I try to choose ones that are written in the first person, but they might have happened to anyone, you know, because I find that the more 
specific you go with your stories, actually the more you know, more universal they are. And certainly that's been the reaction to the book when I look at it on like people contacting me on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, people really relate to what I thought were such individual things about me. Because I, when I was growing up, I thought that I was suffering from a disease called uniqueness. You know, I thought I was like <laughs> chronically unique and no one understood me and I was so different to everyone else. But if I've learned anything from the response to Can't Cope, Won't Cope and the book is that like, actually I'm just like a one of many spice loving basic bitch like the rest of them <laughs> um, but and when it came to putting you obviously decided then that was the topic and that was great but how did you put the structure on the book then um, I just looked at the the biggest changes that I have experienced um, and the ones that sort of had the biggest effect on me in terms of leaving ripples that kind of go through my life so I started you know there's sort of the changes that happen with everyone but then ones like the Santa myth, which is something that I think about all the time and was the first time that I stopped trusting people inherently. Um, and that was because you hate surprises. So you, in your letters to Santa, said, I do not want any surprises. Please bring me what I'm asking because I don't I don't like change and I don't want a surprise. Yeah, like, please no surprises. And I would write several letters to him being like, um, by the way, I hope you got my last letter. And was that also, because he didn't reply back all the time? Please, like, he would never reply back because I was, like, writing to him in August. Oh, you know, okay. like, like... He was this, having a little rest he was at that having point. A rest. <laughs> and also, like, please don't come into my room and um, just leave my stuff by the chimney. Just making sure you're getting all these letters, Santa. Um, also... Like, because the idea of Santa is a bit disturbing, isn't it? Like, he sees you when you're sleeping. <laughs> he knows when you're awake. He's like He's giving watching you, you a value judgment and putting you on a list. I mean, it's kind of creepy. But he gives you presents. He does, but I don't know the payoff. It's a big, it's a big, uh, the opportunity cost is, is a lot. Like it's this sort of surveillance big brother <laughs> thing for a year for a couple of presents. I don't know. So your life and your memories and all of these milestones, as you say, are, are, are is how you put the structure on the book. But it is about you. So there wasn't really that much research involved then, was there? No, there wasn't that much research. Which um, is great from a writer's perspective. Yeah. Um, and I that's why I sort of feel like an imposter when I'm asked to do things. Like when I'm described as an author, it's like, no, I just like, it's like as if I was just allowed to write some really long tweets. Um, and how long did it take to write? Um, a month. But wow. That's full, really? full time. Yeah. So I um, wrote the first draft in a month, four weeks um, when I didn't have any other writing projects. But I... I don't really like to socialise. So um, I get up at half four in the morning and I'm writing by five and then I, I write all day and I go to bed really early. So And do you go out of the house at all? Oh, of course. Yeah, I have a Fitbit watch and I have to get 10,000 steps every day. Right. Um, that's your rule. That's my rule. That's your control. That's my control. <laughs> um, but probably if I didn't have that, I would never leave the house. And why half four in the morning? Um, it started as jet lag. And then I found that I'm really productive at that time and it's a lovely kind of quiet time where I don't, I get to have my say at a time when I don't have to shout too loud to be heard and and by the time I've done a day's work, like nine or ten o'clock in the morning, I'm then like free to meet my friends for lunch and, you know, have a coffee with someone because being a writer can be quite a lonely trade and um, I don't really... I like to be able to meet people and do stuff, but also not have the guilt of like, oh, I should be working. And speaking of guilt then, you do talk about family and friends quite a lot yeah. in the book. 
How did they react when they read it? Um, so one thing that I'm very strict on is that it is not a risk to be a part of my life. Um, <laughs> I'm already afraid I'm going to feature in the next book. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's that's the thing, you know, like it's my life and and I get to um, decide how much of it I share with the world. And there is a payoff, you know, like I do have a le- I my private life has been impacted you know people recognise me on the street and people say things on Twitter and that's a pain. and is that all weird though it's considering weird. as you say you're quite shy and you don't like socialising yes it's very weird but it's something that you know you I, I did consider and you it's a payoff it's part of the world of being in the public eye but I never want my friends people who are in relation to me my partner like my my friends my family people in in relationships with of any description to feel like I'm going to sort of cannibalise our relationship for entertainment purposes. And so nothing in the book was 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 put out without the consent of people who are in relation to me. Um, and did anyone say, no, actually, you can't include me? Yeah, uh, there is one caveat to that, which is that I think if you break up with someone, you get your half of the narrative back sort of like a division of assets right so (laughs) this is my story so I didn't contact my exes and say is it cool if I like do this thing because well that's their problem Mm -hmm. if they didn't want me to do that they shouldn't have broken up with me Um, but and did they contact you after the book came out no no they didn't Um, actually I only had one person contact me before the book came out who said I hear you're writing a book, just want to check you're not going to be like talking about me and us, are you? And I was like, no, no, no you're not that special. You're not in there. <laughs> it's so funny though, loads of people are like sort of offended that they're not in it, you know? And it's like, you haven't been relevant to me for years. Yeah. Why would I write about you? We don't, we don't need you. And the great news was you were shortlisted then for the non-fiction book of the year in the Irish Book Awards. So was that a surprise? Was that a surprise? Yes. Like, does Dawson have a creek? I was like, this is, I was sat in my friend's kitchen when they rang to tell me and I was like, but I, but it's. But I wrote it in a month. How could that happen? No, but I, but I, but it's just a series of tweets. It's not crafted the way other people. Um, I was so honoured and, and humbled and like, I just couldn't believe it. And I was, because I've seen some really brilliant writers go through that process people that I really admire and it was just sort of again imposter syndrome right but like you have to kind of get over that at some point totally and take the accolade and in, in the, the way accolade. it's meant you yeah. know so. and you did you read reviews of the books then of the book no I didn't read reviews of the book I take people's personal reviews when they tag me on Instagram and talk about uh, something specific that's resonated with them I don't were you afraid of negativity? Um, no, because I, I don't know. Maybe I'm being very naive here, but I can't see. I don't think the book is pretending to be anything. You know, like when I sign books, um, people ask me to sign the book for them. I write, you know, thanks for the support. There's a typo on page 218. Sorry <laughs> about that. I am very aware. Which very upset you, I think, didn't it? Oh, my God. Yeah. Especially, How did that happen? Oh, because it's not an actual typo. You know, like it's it's the word nation, but it's meant to be national. So it didn't pop up on any of my screens. And I had so many so people A reading. missing letter. Yeah. Has caused you hours of, of sleepless nights. Hours of sleepless nights. Um, <laughs> but yes, so uh, I wasn't afraid of negativity, but I always am sort of... Uh, I don't really read reviews. I don't. Um, 
it's the same as awards you know like it's great to get an award it's lovely that someone has decided they want to you know reward you for your work but I you know you have to if you start to buy into the good reviews you have to reconcile the fact that there will be bad reviews and if you start to believe the hype of awards then you're kind of attaching your value and your self-worth to something that will not always be there I think that's really dangerous so I don't kind of get involved at all And you're writing a second one at the moment? I'm writing a second one at the moment. And how far in are you? Uh, Very early stages because I also have a deadline for, I have two deadlines for a film and TV pilot at the moment. So they, it's kind of first come first serve. So I have to get them (laughs) them finished and then I'll take uh, a month again. And And is is the second one similar in terms of tone or or the type of content? uh, No, no, it's not. It's more about... I actually don't know how much I'm allowed to say about it. Um, but it's 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 less personal, let's say, but more anecdotal. Okay. So using not just uh, examples from my life, but also like from popular fiction and media and episodes of Friends, you know. Mm. Um, and maybe episodes of Can't Cope, Won't Cope. Maybe, yeah. Now that it's on Netflix, it could be like a nice marker for people to And, to and I mean, what's really interesting about your writing life is you write books but you write screenplays you've written for stage and Can't Cope Won't Cope was you know it was such a runaway success I suppose um, is it different do you have different ways of approaching those different writing projects yeah I do um, like writing the book is such a luxury like it's because is it easier yeah I think so why and um, because writing for a screen you have to be so sparse and it has to be so lean and like it's bro- it's broken down into eighths of a page and you know like you could slave o- like you'll get a note from a producer saying we need to cut three eighths of a page here mm. and that'll take hours because you're you know it's like honing down words and you know little inside uh, factoid uh, an extra gets paid uh, a fee for speaking if they speak over seven words, they have to get paid more. Right. So producers or people who are the financiers, they want to keep that low. No way. So you get people coming back being like, this person's speaking nine words, make it seven. Oh, and you're like, wow, I didn't know God. that. Yeah. You know, but you have a publisher being like, you have 70,000 words, off you go. You know, so it's <laughs> Do like... you want to add another 10 if yeah, you feel like it? It's like right. party central. So it's a completely different skill set. And which is your favourite then? Um, I think I would get bored... You know, I love that I can do both. Um, I The indulgent part of me would probably become some sort of sloth if I was just to be writing books. And I think each of them allows me to be a better version of the other writer, you know. And Can't Cope, Won't Cope then, the first series, as I said, was, was pretty much a, a smash hit. Where did the idea for that come from? Again, was it from your own personal life? Um, yeah, I guess so. Like I moved from Cork to Dublin um, and so did the girls. And I think that I had seen a lot of television, like we have a lot of scripts, we have a lot of examples of romantic relationships, a lot of templates for how to deal with like a dysfunctional romantic relationship. How it's supposed to be done. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't have scripts or templates so much for friendships. And I know that I have kind of suffered more at the hands of my female friends than I have from any man. And so I wanted to explore like what a difficult female friendship looks like and also see people on screen who are girls who are difficult who make bad choices so that we are not like measuring ourselves against a myriad of perfect women and coming up short all the time so that was sort of where the idea came from I know people are always like are you Ashling or are you Danielle <laughs> and, uh, and I am 
like I know 10 Ashlings and I know 10 Daniels and I relate to different parts of both of them for mm-hmm. sure. Um, I have that sort of sharp, sarcastic self-destruction that Ashling has, but I also have that sort of people-pleasing, anxiety, um, kind of crippling uncertainty about the world that Danielle has and you know you can't write what you don't know and so and I thought it was interesting though because Ashling is pure mad yeah. essentially uh, as a character and there are no rules there but actually as it goes on and we see her relationship develop with the Danielle she doesn't like change either because she doesn't want her relationship with Danielle to change and that's sort of nearly the crux of the whole the whole yeah. thing it's working for her like why mm. why and she doesn't understand she can't relate to the impulse of Danielle of wanting to go to Vancouver and wanting something more than she has Ashling's like this is grand you know like yeah it's if it ain't broke don't fix it perfect but it's not broke so why are you trying to fix it so the second series is in production at the moment is it Uh, it's in post production so it's filmed it's in the can as they say are you happy with Um, it I haven't seen a single thing but tonight I will be seeing all round to your house to have a little look at this yeah so I've got three episodes to watch tonight and then by tomorrow evening I have to give my notes so it's all really quick um, and did you were you on set when it was being no, filmed no really why was it a case of you didn't want to or um, a couple of reasons uh, I, I had other writing commitments also had a little medical thing that I had to deal with and I I'm a, I'm a distraction and unless I I don't really like I have a, a high value on my time and so if I don't need to be there it seems like a waste of my time. And do you feel under pressure then? I know you're going to be watching it this evening, but season one was received so well. Do you feel concerned? I feel, yeah, I do feel concerned because I feel like season one was good. Yeah, it, it was great. I don't think it was great. I think it was good. I think it was very good for my first I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yes, but I do think that there was a, you know, hunger is the best sauce. And I think that we were starved of that sort of thing. You know, like we had never seen Irish girls on screen like that. We'd never seen Dublin represented in a way that wasn't either like love, hate or, you know, some sort of parody. Um, And I hope that all of the talk, like it can't go broadcast in 2016. That's only two years ago, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And I hope that we haven't sort of built up the memory of it and are going to be like, oh, maybe it wasn't as good as we remember. So... I have certainly become a better screenwriter in the meantime and so I think the scripts certainly of season two are 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 better, frankly. And I think that the the world that I've created is 2018, not 20... Uh, like, it has developed, you know, there's different issues facing Ireland now than there was when I wrote season one and those will be reflected in the script. So I'm really excited to see what a new director, what way she's brought it in, um, how it looks, how it feels, does it does it because the the amazing thing is that I created this on my own it came out of my head it in your head and onto in the my paper. head yeah and so it's kind of funny to sit and watch something that you gave birth to come alive in front of you and 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 you know it's hard because you only ever see the kind of the what's the word um you know when you Compromise. You only see the compromises, you know. So you're like, oh, well, in my head, it was like a massive house that she lived in. But but then going back to what you were saying earlier on, you know, you're talking about imposter syndrome, but you have done all of this and you have achieved all of this, you know. So again, yeah. in terms of, of, as you say, taking the positives with the negatives, um, and a lot of us do tend to be sort of quite critical of our own work, but... 
it's fantastic to, fantastic to see it come to fruition though. You it know? is it is fantastic and one thing that I'm really proud of is that there are over 70 people working on Can't Cope, Cope. 70 like that's employment that's amazing. for like that's amazing for something that just came out of my head and like 70 people have jobs over it like Sure, I'm basically Apple. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you're working, you're doing a screenplay as well for Parallel Films? Yeah, Parallel Films and the Irish Film Board. And what's that about? Um, it's an adaptation of, of, of an old book and it's about twin girls. I'm kind of obsessed with twins. Oh. Um, when I was a kid and people used to ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up, <laughs> I used to say a twin. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah, I think it was because I was an only child and like maybe lonely or something but um, I'm obsessed with twins and the idea of having this sort of like biological other half that you're constantly compared to um, and if it was identical imagine somebody you looked like yeah these aren't identical now this is one who's like this sort of prim and proper like high achiever and then this sort of clumsy overweight girl who's always comparing herself but she's super funny and super witty and sarcastic and each of them think that the other one is the better one and about this summer that they spend in the Gweltucht and how they sort of individuate and fracture and then come back together Um, I'm really excited to write it because I feel like it's a film that I really wish I had had when I was 16 you know Yeah and what about the TV pilot for Channel 4 then? TV pilot for Channel 4 is in with Channel 4 at the moment and yeah, I think I have to wait another two weeks to hear if they're going to go on the whole season for that. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I hope so. And then just going back to uh, the books, obviously you've got the second one in the pipeline, but would you do fiction at any point? I People keep asking me that. I, I don't think that I'm able to do that. I don't know about like... But you write it for screen, you write it for stage and... Yeah, but how do you maintain a narrative across like 300 pages? And I don't know that I have the adjectives to describe how the how the curtain is blowing, you know, like I remember in, in the school, wind, Stephanie, in the wind. No, but you know, like it's always like setting a scene like the the, the, the curtain billowed in the sun dappled. Like the curtain was moving because the window was open. You know, right. that's what that's the sort of writing that I want to do. And um, I don't know. I, I would love to try, but I think it would be a pretty weak book. I'll give it a go just to see. I'll give it a go. Maybe maybe I'll start by writing like a children's book like The yeah. Very Hungry Caterpillar that has one word repeated throughout. <laughs> That'll work. Stephanie Preisner, thank you so much for joining us here on Inside Books and you'll find Stephanie's book <clears throat> Why Can't Everything Just Stay the Same and Other Things I Shout When I Can't Cope that long catchy title. You'll find it in your local bookshop now. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, the next episode of Inside Books will be out soon. Just keep an eye on our Twitter feed for details. The handle is at InsideBooksIRE. If you want to hear other episodes of Inside Books, just search for us on SoundCloud or subscribe on iTunes. I'm Brida Brown. Until next time, keep reading. Inside Books is a unique media production. 